Good morning, everybody. Welcome to news from the drug war front. Yes, indeed. Brought um, to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and the, the lovely connection. Jeffrey and the lovely Marion. Indeed, and uh, welcome, listeners. And um, yeah, look, there's been some sad events recently, hasn't there? It's there has, an activist yeah. um, from the US who I never met but knew by her, her name has yeah. uh, passed away, and. Um, uh, arrangements have been made for her funeral. And, and we've you- had some local deaths too, Geoffrey, which has been very sad. Um, some we're not sure of the um, of the causation, but certainly somebody from the community or from well, community being an interesting word to describe our connection with each other, but somebody that we know within the uh, using... Um, Environment, anyway. So, yeah, it's sad to hear that people are dying and, and you know, all that talent going to waste because of the legal status of the drugs that we use. And whether people dying from an overdose or from failure to breathe, it really doesn't matter. It's, a, it's, a, it's sad that people should die before their time Um whether because they use drugs or just that happens to be a part of their personality. But they are, we're unable to talk about it out loud and to say, for many people we've been unable to say they died because they overdosed yeah. and because there was nobody there to help them, no one with naloxone, yeah. which is should be widely available those oh. days and is, in fact, widely it available. Is. And the training is always there. Indeed. Every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month, Jeffrey, is it? Yes, early David morning centre. Dave was doing it at yeah. the early morning centre and get in touch with Karma on Dave or Damo on 62533643 and Indeed. book in for the next training course. Yeah. Um, we want everybody to have naloxone where Absolutely. possible. But it, there's no barrier to it. It doesn't do anything except reverse the effects of opioid Overdose. I'm um, look. Any overdose death is a tragedy, but it is when it's for want of something that is so freely available and so easy and easy to use. To use. Yeah, yeah. And that's a sad thing and a searing indictment on our sense of caring for people who use drugs, whether you know whether you know them or not. Mm. It's just why do we not care about people in the population? Mm. No matter what they do in their spare time, no what, no matter what they do for um, leisure or because they have to, because they need to maintain uh, dependency and the drugs that are available for opioid replacement therapy don't happen to suit. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a sad, sad thing that we just let people go and... Young or old, it's a certain... We're just losing talent for want of concern, mm. yeah? All care, no responsibility, yeah. and that worries me immensely, Geoffrey. Well, it's just been hard to break out of the, the prohibition... Mentality. Know, ...approach, mentality, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking I really enjoyed <coughs> watching the Mardi Gras and the World Pride um, concert and a lot of the other events that went on, and it was marked about how... Um, that community has come from a position of being criminalised yep. to the position now where they're celebrated it. Yes. And I was thinking, how likely or possible is it for drug-using community, in quotes? To do the same thing. To, to, yeah, to have that sort of um, 
breakthrough in terms of Abs- human rights. And- Absolutely. We've, um, yes, the, the, you know, the idea that people would stand up and say, and, I, and I'm a drug user, when in fact everybody's a drug user in one, in way, one way or another. Or another. Yeah. It's just about whether the drugs you use are legal or illegal, really. It's a sad and sorry state of affairs yeah. when there's a quite a large proportion of the population who might be intermittent drug users or constant regular drug users who cannot because of the legal status of the con- the drugs they're consuming, cannot come out and say, this is what I do mm. in my leisure time. Yep. How can I keep myself safe? How can I keep my associates safe? Mm. Why can I not call my associates who, with whom I use drugs friends? Mm. Why can't I say my friend died from a drug overdose? And largely it's because families are reluctant or don't want that to aspect. admit that they yeah. don't no they don't want to identify uh, their sister brother aunt uncle child whatever as being a drug user because it's damning and it it also stops us from becoming a community Jeffrey mm-hmm. we work at community development but we are a community insofar as we have one activity in common and that's the use of Choosing illicit drugs. Choosing to use drugs. an illicit drug. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it is a but it's a pervasive activity. Yeah. It, it impacts a lot of our lives, particularly if you have a dependency to feed, but also if you are just going to um, a concert mm. and you want to take pills. Um, or some other kind of drug, just to enhance your enjoyment. Because, I mean, I just think that the use of drugs to enhance enjoyment is a is quite a healthy activity in a lot of ways. Not to create a good time out of a bad one, mm. because that doesn't work as a rule, but to make a good time better. Yeah. Yeah. To make a... Um, uh, to make a community or to make a um, a friendly relationship more connected, yes, I understand that because mm. often people do, particularly Absolutely. with the hallucinogens. Traditionally, they've been used to, if you like, um, in you know, discuss your philosophy of life. Yeah, you know, I, I remember doing that at the men, many trips. Yes, you know, what's I, the meaning of life? Opening up your thoughts and yeah, what's wrong with finding with investigating that? Just well, because you're intoxicated. Mm. No, I agree. And it's had a huge part in yes, the I history. Yes, I mean, look, port used to be used. Yeah, port cigars and talk about the meaning of life. Yeah. That's how it used to be yeah. for alcohol. And, then and now it's, you know, port cigars and go home bash up your wife. <laughs> it's just not, not so that good. it's ever been any different, but simply it's more open now. We're more aware of it. But, yeah, I was pondering on just trying to see the parallels behind how the, the gay community or the LGBTI yeah. plus community have come together through a lot of, you know. And come out. And co- come out to the point where they're celebrated and they're having. That's right. And it's it's illegal to discriminate against them. Yeah. They, do, they no longer um, discriminate against themselves. They no longer self-stigmatise mm. unless they live in a. Uh, a population where they are one in 200 people. 
yeah, it's say, an small isolated towns, community. Could still be a, dis, a, a difficult. There is still that. Right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, we were there with, um, with the LGBTQI plus community or pansexual community from the very beginning Indeed. to stop the big the spread of HIV AIDS, and that was why we got funded. I yes. mean, I know that we've told you this many times. That's a crucial. It is absolutely fundamental. That's why you don't have to be afraid of contracting HIV AIDS is because the injecting drug use community or population came together and in, uh, introduced peer education to our friends. You know, we we educated each other on how to use drugs safely and we were allowed to do that. In fact, we were encouraged to do mm. that and we were funded to do that by the federal government so that people didn't die, our loved ones didn't die simply because they used a drug, say, even once, but they had no knowledge of the strength of or the quality of the drug that they were using. It's just... It's frustrating, obscene, and we've been at this for, what, 22 years? We say the the show's been about, but we've been doing it for 40 years away from the show, yeah. I think there's a program coming up on ABC that's taking a look back at how the government and uh, affected communities responded to the HIV AIDS epidemic. Absolutely, there is, actually. It's, um, I can't remember the name for it, but it looks neither excellent. Neither can I, but it, is, it's, it looks like it traces the uh, development of the National HIV AIDS um, Committee, which was headed by Ida Buttrose mm-hmm. in the beginning and had representatives from the gay and injecting drug use community, or men who have sex with men, yeah. because that was the initial concern. That was, and in fact, that was where the spread initially came from. We had um, infected people in the in the injecting drug use community, yeah. but often they were also men who had sex with men. So, yeah. anyway, look, there was cross influence in people. Right. It's actually people who have just not one characteristic in common. You but, know, there but were the imp- other things. Importance of involving people who are in potentially at That's risk. That's right. Um, and that was how we were defined, the yeah. at-risk community. And it wasn't necessarily that they cared about injecting drug users, I might add. It was about the spread to the wider community. Yeah, I'd like to think it was care. Yeah. I would love to think that's too. But, in fact, it was we had to shout very loud yeah. Yeah. to be considered because it was essential that because not a lot of people were out about the, either their sexuality or about their drug use um, we had to contact everyone and educate everyone on yep. safe sex and safe drug use. Indeed. And that was essential and I, it's still essential. Oh, absolutely. If we want to keep people alive and keep them contributing because, you know, we're not dumb bunnies. We're not stupid. No. There's a lot of talent learn. in the yeah. idea community. Indeed. population. Struggle to call it a community simply because... We have one activity in common, um, but we want to keep people alive. We want to keep people alert and contributing and part of the broader population as contributing members of the population. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, topic for discussion about this concept of a drug-using communi- community or how you... However you want to describe it. And how yeah. we build a movement to actually defend the human rights 
uh, even just on that level. And don't. Uh, and, and how we get people to stop self-stigmatising well, well, as drug users because that is so potent. And, you know, when we go back and think of many of our colleagues who have died who were not out about their drug use because they felt so guilty about it. Indeed. And it's a... Anyway, we should do the introduction, I think, to the show or maybe do a song. Maybe do a quick now song and then we'll talk about... brought um, everybody down. All the great things. <laughs> well, uh, the flip side, which is Canberra has a, a very effective yeah, functioning... Uh, which we will talk about after some music, will yeah. we? Well, this is a nice, beautiful song, Otis Redding, which um, he got a number one uh, award or whatever you get when you sell the most uh, songs posthumously, uh, sitting on the dock of the bay. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time I left my home in Georgia Headed for the Frisco Bay Cause I've had nothing to live for And look like nothing's gonna come my way So I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same Here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone Listen, two thousand miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on a dock of the bay Wasting time song from it uh, certainly is Otis Redding Otis Redding potent yeah. song um, as regular listeners will know news from the drug war front comes from CARMA the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy um, which is a service provided for users by users mm-hmm. um, a peer service which is uh, dedicated to harm reduction 
Uh, we believe that people who use drugs should be treated with dignity and respect, both as human beings and as consumer of health and social services, and as members of the population. Karma works to reduce the discrimination and stigma experienced by drug users and speaks for our community's equal rights by progressing drug law reform agenda. Uh, Karma's got a range of services that it provides. Regular users will know what they are, but there's a, a peer treatment support program, a Connection First Nations program, um, and introducing uh, naloxone to the community. We do naloxone training first Tuesday of every month, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, we do community development and mentoring, a fixed peer education program. Of course, this radio show is brought to you by Karma, the Reach, Teach, Treat, Hep C peer education and treatment project in partnership with uh, Directions Health, uh, sorry, with um, Hep, Hepatitis ACT, which is a really good program um, providing um, really effective drugs against hepatitis C that actually cure hepatitis C okay. and can render your liver, which is a potent organ, really important organ, but will regenerate mm. after the use of these drugs. It's a really great program, something we should be we are very proud of. Um, and the Karma Primary Healthcare Clinic. Karma is at um, 54 Benjamin Way, Shop 17, Level 1. Its telephone number is 62533643 or you can get in touch with Karma by emailing it at uh, info at karma.org.au or one yeah. word. So please do get in touch with Karma. Yeah, make use of um, a service that provides... Well, it's now got the Vein Finder vein program too, yeah. which I helps people I um, uh, identify... Functioning, functioning veins, viable veins that they can use, which is a massive problem for injecting drug users who have been using for any length of time at Indeed. all. They find that their veins are no longer viable, or they're visible, but they don't—they just disappear the minute you try to put um, a needle into it. So, yeah, it's something really—it's a really useful program. And every couple of weeks we seem to be coming up with a new project that is useful to users and to our peers and helps to keep them alive and healthy and capable of contributing to the wider community because yeah. the talent within our population is as pervasive and as um, as substantial as it is in the broader population because that's who we are. We're part of the wider community. Indeed. We and, are just people. And Karma has, uh, over the last couple of years, greatly extended its partnership that's um, right. activities for the whole number of um, existing alcohol and other drug services in Canberra, which is all to the good. Yep. Uh, like the clinic that you mentioned uh, in collaboration with Directions, the uh, Reach, right. Teach, Treat. Um, program. There's there's a lot of things that have been it's, it's, coming on board. There's so much to do, and Karma has the capacity to do it, and largely because our funding body has been uh, good enough to give us the the breadth of scope 
to investigate what's needed in the community. Well, I think it's given an indication of the bang for the buck that they Absolutely. get from uh, a peer service. But if we but didn't have karma, the expense to the government and the broader community in terms of ill health would be monumental. And I know when HIV first reared its ugly head, the cost of treating an injecting drug user, as opposed to the cost to educate them mm. to prevent the transmission of HIV, was so broad. You know, the difference was so monumental that it was really good, bang, as you say, bang, bang for, for your, your buck. buck. Yep. yep. All right, uh, news from the Drug Warfront reports on news stories uh, that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also from around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. The contents of this uh, broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone, but nor, con nor, nor does it condemn drug use, and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. And I've just been reading um, some snippets uh, of um, a friend of mine who's uh, at the latest session at the UN and um, just, you know, oh, really? his, his take on some of the photos that he's posted tells you what he's, he's really thinking, that, you know, <laughs> um, there was, uh, you know, comments made about the need to involve peers, but... Um, she couldn't say harm reduction, you know, like things like that. This it's is just, at the United Nations. Yeah, at the wow. UN. It's, it's so a the slow... Language, the language is slow to be adopted. Very slow. And yeah. for a long time when um, Russia had much more influence than it does now, it was just net, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Harm reduction doesn't work. It's um, Well, they didn't have any injecting drug users. I remember when I went to a WHO meeting in Geneva, Jeffrey, they didn't have any drug users. In Russia. That'd be right. Yeah, not one. Just fine. Um, Funny that. Uh, Russian uh, Orthodox, God-fearing, um, heterosexual, family-loving. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Peoples. Indeed. Um, yeah, karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. As such, karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people, which right. for seems all reasonable. People, not just IDUs, everybody. There is no reason. You cannot assume that because somebody is in front of you um, and they look a particular way, they have a particular, I don't know, sense of dress or an age group, they represent a particular age group, that they are or are not an injecting or have not been an injecting drug user. There's no identifiable dress no, code. No, <laughs> we, we have no, we no. have no <laughs> labels. There's no labels that says IDU. No. Um, so, and although we do put that on ourselves sometimes, we do tend to be very judgmental of ourselves and quite, uh, and, and we bring ourselves down a lot. We so often tend not to push ourselves forward and volunteer for particular activities because we feel like we don't deserve them. Yeah, or you feel bad about being involved in something that is That's, frowned upon. And, and un, un, our, our 
friends and our, our community, if you like, are unwilling to present ourselves openly as, as injecting drug yeah. users or as drug users, illicit drug users, because the IDU label can relate to just illicit drug users or injecting drug users. It doesn't matter if you use a drug for your either recreation or for uh, therapeutic purposes. It doesn't matter. People are loath to present themselves as drug users. Mm -hmm. And yet, as I said before, we are all drug users in one way or, one way or another. Jeffrey. Yeah, unless you're a monk sitting on top of a hill just... Um well, air even and water. then, you know, it probably you know, the hypoxia that you get at that altitude <laughs> probably make you stoned as well. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I take your point, Marion. It's, um, it's a bit of hypocrisy to say Indeed. these pe people drinking and smoking are not drug users. And yeah, these people it's only the people that use illicit drugs yeah. are drug users or the people that use their prescribed drugs in a non-prescribed mm. way, in a way that they are not, don't have them prescribed for them. Yeah. And it's a worry. But it's nice to hear, Jeffrey, that I've heard recently that there are many people who are on the um, on who are taking cannabinoids that have been prescribed for them, and that seems to be functioning quite well at the moment. That the process of having um, cannabis products prescribed for you for particular um, ailing, uh, ailments, ailments like. Um, like stress, anxiety, um, pain, sleeplessness, um, you know, many reasons. All sorts the of things. Yeah. Are having the having cannabinoid drugs prescribed for them, often by phone, um, because I don't know if there are many doctors in Canberra that are, are um, using. Uh, cannabinoids by or are prescribing cannabinoids. Be good to do clients. a story on that, wouldn't it? It would be good. It'd be good to know a bit more about it. But the the interstate program is still working for Canberra people, and in fact, people are having their cannabinoids prescribed for them, and three days later, they're turning up in the mail, just like that. Nice, really can good, be done. Really well, you know, well organised. Um, and I'm really pleased to hear it because the relief that it's providing for people is so pleasing to hear. Yeah. It's always had the potential for that, Jeffrey. Yep. Yeah. Okay, no, news coming up. Got Sorry, the news coming raving. up. I couldn't agree more, Marion. It's been a long time coming. We'll talk a little bit more about it. And yep. the can test. And can the test, news. yeah, which is yep. um, one of the best things that's uh, happening in Canberra Absolutely. for a long while. Okay, we're off to the national news. All right, it's four minutes past 11. Welcome back to this week's uh, edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, which is a similar organisation for First Nations peoples. Um, I found a story on Associated Press, which um, some, depending on your outlook, may seem funny, but to me, I just found it disturbing. Um, it's a quote, cocaine cat escaped its owner and will now live at Cincinnati Zoo. An African serval cat that was found with cocaine in its system after an escape uh, at a traffic stop now calls the Cincinnati Zoo its home. Much to the delight of social media, users still amused by the recent release of the movie Cocaine Bear. The wildcat story has trended online where users relished in the absurdity of the horror comedy, which riffs off the true story of a 79-kilo black bear that was found dead near a duffel bag and some $2 million US million worth of cocaine. 
Social media's, media users have predictably dubbed the serval cocaine cat. Well, that's <laughs> really clever, isn't it? Uh, the slender feline made its escape after its owner uh, was pulled over by police, according to local animal control officials. It leapt from the car into a tree. Uh, and wow. lo- local animal control um, dog wardens were called uh, into the neighbourhood and managed to uh, cap- capture it. They caught caught it. But, uh, yeah, so we now have Cocaine Cat as well as the uh, Cocaine cocaine Bear. bear. So um, I thought we'd talk about the latest um, information from the The seventh month of Can Test. Yes, that's a great idea, Jeff. The the Can Test has been a fabulous uh, incentive or innovation from uh, local... um, Local members of the uh, well, in fact, it's sort of introduced by um, what's called uh, Cantest Health and Drug Checking Service. That's it's the full been name. Introduced yeah. by I can't. It's just slipped out of my head. Well, the it, it came from as a result of the testing during um, Groove in the Moo. That's right. And pill test in Australia. Doctor um, Caldicott, Karma. Doctor Caldicott. Um, that's ACL. Health, who's been really front and centre of a lot of the push for. Um, uh, for legitimate provision of a service to test drugs for people who consume illicit drugs, although they test everything. Yeah. Um, you bring any kind of pill, powder, potion matter. in, they will <laughs> test it for you. Yeah, you can't bring in plant matter. Can't you bring in plant no, matter? P- I thought pill- they said... Pills, um, powders, potions, uh, but pill- as far as I know, potion, not, not- um, plant material. Oh, that's a shame. Everything else, and of course, it, the equipment is so sophisticated, you get an accurate um, report. Reading of what's in there, yes, it's really quite specific, isn't it? And many people uh, on reading that something dangerous is contaminating the drugs that they've purchased will start, throw it away. We'll throw it away, that's right. Drug users are not idiots. They do not want to die, believe you me. Um, and we have had many reports of... You know, young or old people, if they find that their drugs are contaminated with something that they were not expecting and is potentially lethal, they will throw it away. And that was shown even before we had the can test available when they had um, pill testing at uh, Groove in the Moo. There were a number of young people who just threw their pills away because of the contents of them were not what they were expecting. Well, there's harm reduction peers involved. Um, look, sadly, the hours currently remain at six hours total a week. Yeah. Um, Thursday from 10am till 1pm, Friday 6 till 9. Yep. It's at uh, the City Community Health Centre on the ground floor, one more street, um, but it's not the NSP. You go in the main door. And no, it's, um, and it doesn't cost anything. It's free. It's free. Totally free. It takes 30 minutes uh, or so. It could be longer depending upon what uh, test, what's being tested. Um, they may not be able to test some things. This is just like plant matter, plant material, blotters or dilute solutions. But most things that people bring in can be. And well, we've got the great thing, Marion, it's the first time that people can come away with real evidence. Absolutely. You know? And that's something that we've been looking for for many years, Geoffrey, is some evidence of what it is included in the the stuff that we are consuming. Mm. And if we are injecting powders straight into the vein, it is an immediate, um, it has immediate effect. So if it's a deadly 
solution. Um, we want to know. We do not want to die. We need to know the potency, the quality of what drugs we are consuming and we need to know as soon as we possibly can. The results from February um, where they tested 84 samples mm -hmm. are really quite interesting. Um, they had uh, 110 uh, health and AOD brief interventions um, and 18 out of 84 samples were voluntarily discarded by people after they received their results. So that shows now people... that's potent yeah, stuff, isn't it? ...can act in a sensible way and not take something dangerous. Yep, they had ketamine, which was expected in seven samples and detected in five. Um, one sample out of the seven, out of the two that were, didn't have ketamine in, um, contained procaine and tyletamine, and one sample just contained tyletamine. Yeah, I think ketamine's been one of the, the most uh, contaminated or adulterated of the drugs. That ketamine has actually been very popular yeah, with younger people. It has. Um, and it is. it's quite regularly used in um, uh, operations in the health field. Mm -hmm. MDMA was expected in 22 samples and detected in 19. Um the samples tested in their purity range two out of two capsules contained 81 to 82 percent mdma three of the six powders contained 35 to 80 percent 35 percent to 80 percent and 14 out of the 14 crystalline contained five less than five or 76 percent MDMA. huge range I, I noticed heroin um continues to be presented less than I would have hoped by now. I have. I suspect, Jeffrey, that uh, heroin is so expensive for such a small amount that even People a small are, yeah. amount that is provided for the testing is more than they're prepared to. People are worried they concede. might have to yes. lose more than and expected. that they might have to put it away. So, of the heroin, uh, it was expected in two samples and not detected in either of them. Oh, great! <laughs> one sample contained MDMA and one sample contained cocaine and caffeine, Beautiful. which is interesting because from the cocaine was expected in 10 samples and detected in six. So maybe it got slipped into the wrong one. The purities range from less than 5% to 66%. I think the bo bottom Sorry. line is there's a huge disparity in um, Between, purity, yeah, pure. adulterants. Um, and isn't that what we've been saying for years? We just don't know. And this can test is providing us with information that we've always needed to know but no one has been prepared to investigate. So Yahoo it's a huge for Dr. David Caldercott. And everyone involved. And all those people have been. Mitch, who's there yep, as yep. a peer educator. Um, and the, the, the uh, idea of turning up to CanTest should not be something that uh, promotes fear. Strictly confidential. It is confidential. Uh, it's private. Whatever people, whatever you are, whatever you speak about remains between you and the person. Don't you're have speaking. to provide ID or anything. No, it's just no identification there required to it's test a the quality. Yeah, innovation. No, um, can't be, cannot say, can't say enough about it, Jeffrey. And Queensland 
is going to going to follow suit. Yeah, not which on a trial basis. They're going to get straight into it, which is awesome. Which is fabulous. I don't know to what extent they're going to provide it. Whether it will only be at um, like Brisbane or at well, how many sites it'll be, yeah. but also whether it's going to be in the location close to um, where they're having concerts. Uh, or whether it will yep. be on fixed sites in uh, a range of cities in oh. Queensland because it's a big place, Queensland. Huge. But pleased to hear that it's being picked up by And the most else. regional of states too. There's a lot of decent-sized oh, yes. cities. The, the distance. And yep. imagine at the moment with the floods up there, Jeffrey, oh, yeah. Yeah. the capacity to have anything done, let alone to get any drugs through to the areas that uh, are... Inundated, inundated with floodwaters. <laughs> and people aren't there anymore anyway. They've been moved to from Catherine to Queensland or from, you know, Mount Isa to a, another regional centre that's not flooded. So Indeed. it's really important. Yeah, can't say enough about Cantest. Look, we'll play a quick song. We'll come back uh, with some more uh, stories. This is uh, an old one, uh, Johnny Winter, early, from early in his career, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. <laughs> Thank you. 
Apologies for hitting uh, track five and not number six. It was TV Mama. Yeah, rock settle and roll, down, Jack. Care. We know. <laughs> but it was, it was still Johnny Winter at it least. It was still Johnny Winter. Okay, it's about 17 minutes after 11. And we're going to talk about uh, a story that's entitled What Lessons Can We Learn from the Origin of the War on Drugs? Listen, Americans for Prosperity Senior Criminal Justice Fellow Greg Glod, an actor, writer and comedian, Clayton English, recently launched a new Lava for Good podcast titled The War on Drugs. This podcast examines the failed policies of America's war on drugs and its repercussions that persist to this day. A constant string of fentanyl-related uh, headlines dominate the news cycle. Drug overdose deaths are now numbering over 100,000 each year. Wow. It's a huge number of people. If it was anything else, Marion... They, they would be, be an uproar, absolutely. National Task Force or something. At least. And more than half of all Americans personally know someone who has died from an overdose. How's that? More That's f- phenomenal, isn't it? For a country of that size, it's clear the country needs help in handling its drug crisis. So, how did we get here? Yeah, they- why, why did the war on drugs fail so spectacularly? The podcast tries to answer these questions with the first two episodes exploring the origins of the, quote, war on drugs, revealing that it was never really about combating drug use in the first place. Mm. The war on drugs origin story, it's worse than you think. In the series' first episode, special guest Johan Johan Hari reveals the sinister beginnings of the, quote, war on drugs. Harry Anslinger, the head of the FBI, the federal, sorry, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics at the end of Prohibition, fabricated vicious stories about drug use and minority communities to keep his agency in power once uh, alcohol became legal. The seeds of the war on drugs were about control, not helping people. Well, that's not a novelty to us, Jeffrey, really, <laughs> is it? Hari also unpacks addiction, noting that, quote, the war on drugs, end quote, is based on the false premise that addiction is caused solely by exposure to a drug itself. He cites research showing that addiction is, ultimately, fueled by pain and despair. How have we handled this delicate issue? Government outreach and over-incarceration, which have done nothing but tear families apart, trap people within the criminal justice system and burden taxpayers. Which is something that's often overlooked, the actual costs of enforcing. That's right. Uh, Quote, the United States has imprisoned more people as a proportion of its population than any human society ever, Hari notes. Uh, people have an addiction problem, we don't help them reconnect, we put barriers between them. Well, yeah, how can um, putting someone in jail actually uh, help Do them? Do anything they, about well, treating should be a health situation if it's, you know, if it's become it, well, it's, problematic. It's ob- obvious to us and has been for some time, Yeah, but clearly not to the Americans. Well, I think in America, as you've often said, morality has come into it and... Um, also, you know, racism, which was... And, and given how um, immoral Harry Anslinger was and his mm. interesting behaviour behind closed doors, it was uh, it's an interesting thing that he should have targeted illicit drugs to keep himself keep and himself his organisation funded yeah, and, and relevant. Yeah, and it yeah. worked a treat. Mandatory minimums, maximum damage. 
The second uh, episode elaborates on the big government approach to incarcerating our way out of the problem of drug use and how the, this has backfired. Guest, Eric Sterling, special counsel to the US House Committee on the Judiciary from 1979 to 1989, helped to draft the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which instituted harsh man mandatory minimum sentencing laws for many drug offences. As he explains, these sentences did not come from a place of reason, evidence or a desire to solve the issues surrounding drug abuse, but were meant to be as punitive as possible. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were essentially decided by a District of Columbia cop who, it turns out, had lied about his expertise and perjured himself countless times. What it's a interesting. surprise, yeah. Jeffrey. There are better ways to approach our drug crisis than the war on drugs, is the next heading. To repair families, fight addiction and reduce crime, we need to develop a bottom-up approach to the drug crisis that ends its reliance on big government, they say. The criminal justice system is ill-equipped to handle addiction issues. On top of that, being branded with a criminal record makes it that much harder for justice-involved people who may be fighting addiction, to successfully re-enter society. And the reliance on incarceration has led to staggering racial disparities. The response to drug use in America should instead be based on community-centric, rehabilitative programs proven to work, treatment programs, the legalisation of marijuana, further research on the benefits and risks of other controlled substances and right-sizing government involvement can help us tackle the drug crisis without needlessly running families, ruining, ruining families yeah. and lives. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of I sense think, and be interesting. Look, in a, a two-page article... It but really, it. it is a, really summed it up quite neatly. Quite neatly, yeah. What we've been saying for the last twenty-two years, it yeah. appears. And but it's interesting that that one paragraph, Harry Ansling, at the head of the FBN, Federal Bureau of Narcotics, at the end of Prohibition, really gives us the guts of mm. why it started. Yeah, yeah, was because he wanted to keep himself relevant and, and his agency. A lot of that's been lost in the. In the mind. Tide of history, yes. yeah. Well, the propaganda that surrounds drug use has is now and has always been just that, propaganda yep. with no basis in reality or fact. And every piece of research that was commissioned by the Federal Bureau of Narcotics came up with a negative report well, on had the drugs be, that they were researching. It had to be an anti-perspective. We don't get funds. Absolutely. Otherwise, it did not justify the amount of money that was spent on it, particularly the amount of money that was spent on incarceration. I think that's been a general um, part of the whole story globally, to yep. be honest. Um, how, how much research has there been done on good sides of um, use of well, drugs? Well, we or have now 2000, well, another, what, 70 years later, the research on marijuana and its uh, usefulness, mm. its utility in many um, illnesses or disabilities has become quite pronounced. You mm. know, it's really useful. It's really good for people with stress and anxiety-related conditions, with um, the side effects from cancer, cancer yeah. treatment. The need to eat. Yeah, it's 
uh, it's amazing how useful it's been. And it's been around for 2,000-odd years. You know, it's people been don't keep on using stuff because it's damaging to them, Jeffrey, for 2,000 years. <laughs> no, I would tend Just to think... Just not realistic. People might have woken up to it after that long. I think they might have, but not brave enough to talk about it publicly. Well, Because that's... it was like being reeds under the bed, yeah? It was yeah. connected you with an illegal trade that thrust you into or thrust people into a, a place where they were no longer part of the regular community of like or and, mainstream community. And seen in a negative light. That's right. Irregardless of other personal no matter, qualities. No or, matter what else you did to yeah. contribute to the society because you belonged to a group of people who used or condoned the use of marijuana, you were... Um, other. You were no the... longer part of reality or how the society worked. Look, I think the whole war, war on people who use drugs is one of the, the, the worst global human rights abuses. If, if that has ever been devised. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And it's the fact that people can be um, effectively murdered, legally murdered, and that's happened in many places yes. in the Philippines, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Australia, in the United States, it's just, it, it's horrendous oh, the, the le- rate at which people have been murdered in the name of the law. Or accidentally kidnapped. And the kidnapped. only reason it's not um, called murder is because it's a legal penalty hmm. or legally prescribed penalty for the possession or the distribution of drugs that um, Harry Anslinger didn't like. Well, it's not too many um, other... Uh, crimes, if you want to put it that way, that can end up with extrajudicial killing being seen as a legitimate response. As a legitimate response, way out, like yes. Duterte, for example, oh, or the, many other countries well, as Philippine. well. Yeah. One of the reasons why, listeners, we've been keeping you up to date with what happens in the Philippines because it is the most extreme example of what happens when people run away with the idea that drugs are murderous in themselves. They so, aren't. No. People use drugs for a whole range of reasons, and it's that's right. And and you cannot murder your way out of it. You can't jail your way out of it. You cannot criminalise people to the point where they are um, alienated from the society because all you do is create um, a group of people who are almost as uh, considered as bad as those who invaded the White House last mm. year. Or the year before, yeah? It's just horrendous. Yeah, it's such a difficult issue to try and um, end or bring well, about even having in- reform. Having institutionalised this whole concept of drugs are bad, therefore drug users are bad, mm. um, and that is now ingrained in so many people's psyche. I agree. From the, from, you know... The, Year dot from yeah. day dot of well, their upbringing, they are reading propaganda and damaging over stuff and over yeah. time and again. Yeah. And the the arguments for keeping drugs illegal are largely emotional, mm. moral arguments, mm. not practical ones. And if you have a look at the results from can testing, um, those. 
evaluations of what's in those drugs just shows what happened when you make drugs illegal, and when if, you stop if, people from finding out what's in their drugs. And if you truly believe in, quote, evidence-based policy, this should make policymakers stand up and think, oh, my God, oh, my goodness, this and is... go back on it and not just change their minds after they lose, leave their positions of power, well, but during their tenure, yeah. that they should review their... Um, arguments and their positions in relation to drug use and drug users. I believe the President of Bolivia came out at this UN event and defended chewing of coca leaf. Is that right? Well, we know that um, Colombia, for instance, the new uh, President of Colombia is um, looking towards uh, changing the status of cocaine mm. in his country because of the way in which is created um, a military-like uh, opposition well, it funds, to government, no yeah. matter who is in power. And it's yeah, been funded by the United States in a lot of ways, by the FBI and the CIA. I how mean, many civilians a, have died in the meantime? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's horrendous. People should not be dying because they use and have used for, again, a Millennium. couple of thousand years, yeah, coca exactly. leaf. And it's been part and, of their culture forever. And it. It's yeah. been, yes, it's grown it, grown it, sorry. It's been part of their culture. No reason why they should simply be alienated and be killed because of it. No. There's enough dangers in the the drugs that we use anyway, as the can test has indicated. Indeed. What can be in it. So, yeah, let me say, please, people, go and have your drugs tested if you're concerned about what's in them. Well, the service is there. And you should be if you're buying buying them on the black market anyway. It's the only one currently available. Yep, and it's a terrific service. It certainly is. All right, um, might play a quick song. Let's hope I've uh, got the right number. Should have brought my glasses. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Jethro <laughs> uh, yeah, Tull. <laughs> Make me, sure you've got it. Um, oh, yes, track six. Okay, <laughs> I've got it right. You just need the number. This is uh, Jethro Tull and Up To Me. <laughs>
Well, I'm a common working man With a half of bitter bread and jam And if it pleases me, I'll put one on your man <laughs> When the copper fades away Jethro Tull and very, Up To Me. Very, very, um, that flute is very indicative of Jethro Tull, isn't it? It well, real t- really tells you that's who it is. He was one of the few rock bands that flute that was... Introduced it, yeah. Yeah, was part of it, yeah, and he's a damn good player. I've just found a, a bit of an update about, um, there was a recent abduction of four Americans in Mexico, and it says uh, there's a letter claiming to be from a Mexican drug cartel um, blamed for abducting four Americans and killing two of them. And they've evidently condemned the violence and said they've turned over to authorities its own members who were responsible. Which is phenomenal, really, isn't it? It's a real um, mea culpa thing which you wouldn't expect from a drug cartel. Maybe killing Americans who weren't involved in any way. Um, They were just tourists, weren't they? They they... were really just not involved in it as far as they knew and just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think it was just, yeah, wrong place at the wrong time. But, um, yeah, evidently they've uh, decided to turn over those directly involved and responsible. I think that's amazing. And I think it's if if that kind of stuff happens more regularly and is publicised... Perhaps they might start to look differently at the diversion, the diver- diversity of, of of cartels that are doing drug um, distribution. Something has to be done. It would make a huge difference, particularly to the whole of North of Mexico, which seems to be overrun by drug cartels anyway. And in fact, has now have multiple cartels as opposed to one because of the imprisonment and they took out Guzman. That's right. They and took out the main player. Yeah. What did they think was going to happen, that it was just going to stop? Because well, it was the United States that actually pushed that hard. Yeah. And how many times have they done it before? Oh, we've taken out, you know. Yeah, uh, well. Pablo Escobar. Osama or, bin Laden. Yeah. That'll stop all the terrorism. Yeah. No, don't work like that. No. They just started selling more heroin. Yeah, it was actually, he was a great source of funding. Well, 
killing the top dog doesn't end the problem. It just creates... Especially when there's so much money involved, Young Jeffrey. and up-and-comers. Up yep. Okay, look, we've got a piece um, from filtermag.org which sort of um, looks to more the impact of um, harm reduction on young people who use drugs, which I thought was quite interesting. Yep. It says, we need harm reduction built for and led by young people who use drugs. Young people use drugs. We need to accept this reality and give them what they need to survive and thrive. Yep. We need to do this in the context of a deadly illicit drug supply, in deepening poverty and inequality, plus other forms of structural oppression along axes of race, gender, sexuality and ability. Why are youth often denied the things that would help them, even more than is the case uh, with older populations? Instead of addressing uh, structural uh, oppression, abstinence-based and top-down institutional approaches to treatment and care can actually make things worse. Yet, for youth in particular, these remain the default. We know that harm reduction saves lives. It can also build lives and communities of care including among young people who become involved in harm reduction organisations and activism. Bottom-up grassroots harm reduction movements and programs are essential to lift young people up, empower them in relation to their wellbeing and care, foster shared activism and push for meaningful policy reforms. It remains so hard for many people to get their heads around the importance of harm reduction programs and spaces dedicated to young people. Older adults remain inclined to, quote, protect and save youth in ways that often do more harm than good. Don't we know that? (laughs) Mm. Vancouver and Lisbon, where two of us live, are celebrated sites of established progressive drug policies and harm reduction programs. But even in these places, young people who use drugs, or YPWUD, have been left out and left behind. In the Canadian province of British Columbia, where Vancouver is located, almost 2,000 people under 30 have died of drug poisoning since 2016. We remember and miss so many who are gone and are fighting for what young people have not had and for what might have saved many lives. Youth-dedicated and youth-led spaces in which to come together, connect build relationships and shared causes, namely fighting the drug war, and learn to use drugs more safely. In the context of entrenched urban poverty, drugs are a source of sociality, pleasure and fun. They're also a means of survival, of navigating physical, psychological and emotional pain, trauma, boredom and historical and ongoing oppression, including settler colonialism, white supremacy and cis... Uh, this is a goodie. Cis-heteropatriarchy. Oh, okay. That's a beauty. I'm not actually familiar Don't with that one. Don't know what it means, but um, it's a patriarchy, I understand. The rest of it is... Uh, not quite historical, sure. It sounds like historical male-dominated, you know, white male-dominated... Imposition of... Dri- yeah. Driving of uh, policy. Yeah. But young people who use drugs often don't get the chance to explain their drug use along these lines to the older people in their lives. Instead, they often face caregivers and providers who simply don't want to listen or who adopt a paternalistic, paternalistic I know best yep. or I need to save you approach. Yep. Indigenous, black and brown, young people uh, and women who use drugs in particular encounter paternalistic and judgmental attitudes. 
Because systemic racism means their bodies and bodily practices are often viewed as inherently, quote, at risk, risky and in need of intervention. Absolutely. Oftentimes via hospitalisation and incarceration. Well, we often say, Marin, on this program that there's an extra dimension in the whole, you know, negative prohibition paradigm that isn't often reflected um, you know, the extra layer of oppression, women yes, when you lose the kids or... Um, or when you're younger. Yeah, yep. you know. And, and it's, the, it's that stigmatiser. It's the, the identification of people by virtue of what they're wearing or how old they are mm. is a really potent um, social norm. Yes, if you look at people and say, young person equals bad behaviour or trouble. Mm. Just trouble. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how uh, police identify um, potential criminals. And if you, if they um, pull somebody up on the side of the road because they are young and driving a car, they, all they have to do is break the taillight and they've got a... Probable an cause. Offense. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah. It's a real... Yeah. It's a real issue. Yeah. And it's... Yes, as older people, we think we have the right to... Tell people or tell younger people how to behave because we know best. Mm. And that's... And it's wrong. It's wrong, yeah. Yeah. Okay, facing institutionalisation, many young people learn to evade and avoid even low-barrier shelters, safe houses, mobile programs and drop-in centres, preferring to take care of themselves and each other on the streets and in camps. While these can be important spaces of sociality, support and care, they can also present numerous threats to wellbeing. Instead of driving young people away from life-saving care, we should be working to draw them in to services in meaningful ways. To these ends, we've undertaken a community-based participatory, participatory action research project based in Vancouver, which is where a lot of progressive yep. thinking is coming from. They've had some good stuff going on over there, Jeffrey. They've, they've really, well, just in response to the, the size of the overdose um, oh, epidemic, yep. you know. I mean, they've really connected with it, though, and they have some very potent um, programs going there. Some, uh, some drug provision programs that they've been struggling to institute. Yeah, uh, had a bit of trouble with, I think, the cocaine and the heroin one initially because they had, couldn't confirm supply or couldn't um, rely on constant supply. Of there's those always drugs. hurdles, and there's always the media. But they've worked at it, and I think they've managed to get around a couple of those. Anyway, the, I can't be sure of that, but I'm pretty sure I heard that they had found a way to get around it. It's done some pretty amazing things. Mm. Anyway, this uh, research program, uh, project based in Vancouver, in collaboration with the younger members of the Manus Collective in Lisbon. So it's a co-production between two countries. Okay. The Vancouver team is currently composed of four university researchers and a youth health advisory council of 10 people aged between 17 and 28 Great. with lived and living experience of substance use and mental health concerns in the context of unstable housing and homelessness. Since the first meeting in October 2018, uh, members have contributed to numerous research and knowledge mobilisation activities, uh, including taking the lead role in planning and hosting a one-day youth summit in Vancouver, focused on critically evaluating local responses to the overdose crisis. Well, that's good. That is good. It is yeah. a crisis. The event included a, quote, chill space where participants could use substances during the event in the presence of trained overdose responders, including a youth peer worker. It rep represented one of the few examples of a for youth, by youth 
supervised consumption site in British Columbia. That's fabulous. That is great. Mm. In a paper published in the Harm Reduction Journal last year, we collectively argued that grassroots youth-led harm reduction philosophies, practices and spaces are essential to this project. Here are our harm reduction calls to action. One, stop focusing exclusively on getting young people to stop using drugs. That makes perfect sense to me, Geoffrey. Two, stop pathologising wider youth, young people who use drugs and trying to save or fix us. Three, invest in low-barrier, youth-dedicated and youth-led harm reduction programs and spaces, including housing, e.g. safe houses, permanent government subsidised housing, shelter and safer consumption or overdose prevention sites. Four, keep young people's engagement with harm reduction programs and spaces confidential. Five, youth-led harm reduction programs and spaces must account for the needs of youth who use stimulants and polysubstance-using youth. Mobile outreach vans and safer consumption rooms are critical for those not residing in city centres. Six, we demand an end to compulsory or involuntary abstinence-based prevention, treatment and reintegration programs. Uh, Seven, in Vancouver, we add our voices to those demanding the decriminalisation of all drug use while at the same time cautioning that decriminalisation, as it has played out in Portugal, for example, does not in and of itself constitute an end to the drug war. Something we've said often, Geoffrey. Mm. Eight. In Vancouver and Lisbon, we add our voices to those demanding an affordable and widely available safe supply of drugs via peer-led compassion clubs that sell pharmaceutical-grade cannabis, heroin, cocaine and meth to those over 18 years of age. We're not going to solve the overdose crisis with prescription of pharmaceutical-grade stimulants and opioids. Both medical and community-based models such as compassion clubs are needed. Nine, youth voices should be better integrated into bottom-up grassroots and top-down state sponsors, harm reduction movements and initiatives with a focus on fostering youth-led change. And ten, young people who use drug in the context of greater privilege as well as allies should focus energy on fostering and extending the activism of young people who use drugs in the context of unstable housing and homelessness, creating vertical connections to power as well as horizontal connections across communities of people who use drugs. I can't say anything but yahoo. Yeah, that's absolutely that's right. That's the way it should be done. The only thing I would add to that is just because this starts at age 17 doesn't mean that people aren't using drugs at, at younger, younger than that, yeah. but it is a, I suspect it's a legal, a legal obligation. I would say They're so. unable to identify people under the age of 17 um, as drug users. But it is a problem. It's problematic in mm. that you cannot recruit people to um, empathic Services or ser- services that are providing with people with mm. empathy, just because they're under seventeen, we need to it say, to be- okay, 
17 is what we'll say out loud, yeah. but we will welcome people who are younger than that if they're using drugs because we don't want them to die just because they're under 17. Well, exactly. Shouldn't the first responsibility be to protect the lives of your citizens? At all ages. I would have thought so. Yeah. I'm going to play one of your favourite tracks, Marianne, oh, Mother's good. Little Helper. Oh, good. <laughs> going back to uh, the old days. Yeah, I knew Rolling Stones. The Stones. What a drag it is getting old Kids are different today I hear every mother say Mother needs something today to calm her down And though she's not really ill There's a little yellow pill She goes running for the shelter of her mother's Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones. And we're just in the uh, closing minutes of this week's news from the drug war front. Brought to you by uh, Marion and Jeff from Studio One, 2XX, People Powered Radio. We'd like to thank 2XX for their support over two decades. As we always do. I've got a a little short piece online which says Victoria's controversial medically supervised injecting room in North Richmond is set to become a permanent service with a, a review finding it finding that it has saved 63 lives. That's great, Jeffrey. Uh, it is. And this is also important, I think. A second building to house, house a similar service has been bought, yep. uh, Premier Daniel Andrews has revealed. Andrews announced his government will be introducing legislation to continue the health service indefinitely 
after an independent review found the facility in the inner city had, quote, successfully managed almost 6,000 overdoses since it opened in June 2018. This is changing lives and saving lives. And Sydney's still trialling it after 20 years. I think it's yeah. per- permanent now at King's Cross. Is it? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just so pleased that Victoria's come up with two sites. Boom, boom. Yeah? It's... Straight away. Look, it's, it's a difficult thing. There's always uh, negative backlash from... There will from always be naysayers, Jeffrey. Local business and some Not in, in my backyard stuff, yeah. Uh, Andrews also said the government planned to enact recommendations made by the independent panel that re- reviewed the facility. It recommended more be done to provide access to integrated treatment, care and support for the facility's users. Yeah. Um, yeah, Good I just them. think that's fantastic. So um, full respect to Daniel Andrews and his government for... Yeah, all power to them. Yeah, look, it shows that there's, you know, it, <laughs> it may not be as quick as, as, you know, we'd like, but... It Sorry, I'm just giggling because I got a message from Jack and Pete. Hey, Maz, don't worry, my love and every Johnny Winter track <laughs> is greatly appreciated. Oh. Colin says the TV show you were both talking about is called In Our Blood. In Our Thank Blood. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Colin. The show is great as per plenty of food for thought and great discussion. Thanks, Jack and Pete and Colin. Yeah. thought you might have been asleep, but I think it's just I had my t- phone turned down. <laughs> well, I... I will be watching In Our Blood. Um, it sounds like it would also be available to be streamed. Um, yeah, yeah. Outside, there'll be a podcast. Or it'll be streamed. It'll be streamed. Yeah, yeah. but it, it was a an important moment in the history of public oh, health, with, without a doubt, yeah. and a massive moment in the history of funding of drug use or well, drug use and, NSP, and, and um, safe, well, safe sex too. Yes, you safe know, sex for everybody. If it's not on, it's not on. Nope, I remember all that one. It was just look. It was, it was phenomenal that. Um, basically a potential pandemic well in fact it was a pandemic if we think about it in terms of you know to what extent we've been dealing with the recent pandemic it was certainly an epidemic Mm. of hiv aids um actually brought government to reality in effect you know let we cannot afford to ignore the fact of people's existence Mm. as drug users or as people who have sex with people of the same um, sex. Well, it's better yeah. than just putting your head in the sand and saying let it well, play out like Reagan did. Well, they to do that and they, because they saw that in New York City where they had ignored it, mm. they had a 60% infection rate, which was considered in, in a saturation rate amongst intravenous drug users. Some cities and are even higher. And it was Dr Neil Blewett and yep. his principal private secretary who identified that when they went to the United States, and I've said this several times, um, but it was a really important event and a really important time in the development of health services and the acknowledgement of the existence of injecting drug users and of people who have sex with men who have sex with men. Absolutely. And sex workers. And people who had consumed blood products because transmission right. was happening it, it, between them too. Yeah, it, the blood supply took a while to get um, Absolute, properly well, checked. To and, clean, 1984, yeah. it was yeah. declared clean. Yeah. And um, even then, we still had problems with hepatitis C. Mm. There was non-A, non-B. So yeah. hepatitis C wasn't identified till 1999 or so, wasn't well, it? Well, at least we can report good treatments for that now absolutely finally. and curative treatments exactly amazing we just just 
can only be grateful for that initial stuff. And we were there for that, Jeffrey. We were around for that. Absolutely. And just because we're around doesn't mean that we know everything. So when we talk about the young people who use drugs... That's also part and parcel of bringing people up in the peer education programs and saying we need people who are going to take over from us and rant and rave the way we do. Look at these young people collaborating between Portugal and Canada. I think it's fabulous. It's really fabulous. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Geoffrey. Lovely to see you again. Lovely to talk to you all again out there in um, Radio Land. Take care. Look after yourselves. If you've got any issues, give Karma a call, 6253 We'll leave you a bit of uh, The Stranglers, uh, Golden Brown. We'll talk to you next week. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress She's heading west From far away Stays for a day Never a frown With a golden